Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of the Hayes Exchange. Diverse faces in global spaces. We are honored to have the Miss Nia Jackson on the show today. So Nia, let's pause and rewind. Okay. You said you were looking for an opportunity to yeah. learn a foreign language. Yeah. You skipped all the easy languages and just went to Arabic, right? Like, what in the world were you thinking? I mean, was somebody around you speaking Arabic? What was the deal? Now, I mean, it really does come from like that childhood experience. Honestly, when I was in the fourth grade and just wanting to know about this language and these people, like it's Arabic is spoken by what, 52 million people across the world. And I mean, it's it's to me, it's just such a critical, important language. And then I don't know, I've, I've learned Spanish and French, like in, you know, in grade school, but Arabic is not a class that they typically offer, you know, in your K through 12 public school curriculum. And so when I saw the opportunity to learn Arabic, I was like, why not? Since you started learning Arabic, yeah. how many other people of color have you met that actually speak Arabic also? Wow. Um, um, you know, only the Wrangles in my cohort and Kendall. Um, of course, Asa that you introduced. I mean, you know, honestly, only people within our sphere, to be very honest with you. So just to create a little context, Nia is a part of this larger fellowship program that brings a lot of people together who have foreign language skills, uh, who have studied abroad, and they are uh, given an opportunity to, to uh, work in the U.S. Foreign Service, uh, which works at embassies abroad. So that's what she means when she's talking about these wrangles. And I, I agree, Nia, I haven't met a lot of women of color who wanted to study Arabic. But it does make me think about, you know, you're talking about you wrapping your hair and how when you wrapped your hair, you could kind of blend in. But that is always the biggest thing for women of color going abroad. Like, what else did you do with your hair? I remember one time you talked about having braids. Like, how did you navigate that space? Yeah, when I, when I first arrived in Morocco, I actually had like kinky twists. So I don't I assume some listeners may know what kinky twists are. Not Google it. And towards the end of summer, you know how all braids go with extensions. They get a little old and ragged and it's time for them to go. So people don't talk about you. Mm -hmm. uh, and I remember, this is one of my funniest moments in Morocco, honestly. I'm sitting in my bed, in like the bedroom. And in Morocco, there's no sense. There's nothing called privacy. Um, especially when you're in someone else's home, to be honest with you. And I was taking out the weave. And literally my whole family, like one by one, comes in the room, starts freaking out. Out. They think my hair is falling out of my head. They see this bag of hair on the bed. They see me pulling it out. And they're like, oh, <laughs> And I had no idea what the word for we was. So I was like, uh, shouting, let's have kids, girl, let's have kids. Trying to say like, my hair is not real. My hair is not, this hair is not real. I don't know. So it was so funny. And then my little sister comes up and grabs the hair. And I actually, she actually was like, do it for me, do it for me. And I put it in her hair and she wore the like, the, keeps the weave in her hair for a whole week. It would like swing around this piece of we uh, braided weave in her hair to all her friends. And it was so funny. You know, <laughs> Never lived with the host family or had that experience. Give me like one thing that was positive and one thing that was like, I don't know how I dealt with this. So, I mean, you know, honestly, it's actually the last week of Ramadan. As you know, it's the holiest month for all Muslims around the world. And I, it was my first time, when I was in Morocco, it was my first time celebrating Ramadan. And when I was the host family, we celebrated Eid. And I think it was just such a lovely experience. One, because my host family was just so welcoming. And they brought over, the, the whole family came over, and my mom, she made halawiyat, so like a lot of sweets, a lot of the traditional foods, and then we went to their mom's house. So I, one, really appreciated that they included, it was me and then uh, 
three other students. That was just a joyous experience, like having that true cultural moment because you can travel abroad here and there, but when it comes to a holiday, it's like, who's going to invite you to their home, right? And so I think one of the great experiences of living with the host families, you get to have that full cultural immersion. I actually went back to Morocco three years after to visit my host family again. Uh, and then also I brought my, well, he's not my ex, but because <laughs> I really want him to see Morocco. And so that was actually awesome that I was able to connect with my host family three years after. But it was an interesting experience going around Morocco with a black man. And when we were in one of the souks, you know, the amount of racism we felt we experienced was really high. Like some guy like dabbed us and said rap N word to him and like tried to attack us for it. It was just very, so that was a very negative experience or the the experience of um, African. So Morocco is located on the continent. Um, There's this huge, obviously divide between North Africa and sub-Saharan Africa. And so how people would treat um, people who are from sub-Saharan African descent in Morocco was was a very deeply negative experience to me. Nia, you obviously have traveled a little mm-hmm. bit of everywhere. If mm-hmm. you could choose any of the places that you visited, actually live long term, where would uh-huh. it be? So, okay, definitely Thailand. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. But I don't know if I would live there long term. South Korea. South Korea is excellent. I mean, in terms of just the quality of lifestyle and um, travel and food and culture, I really enjoyed South Korea, to be honest with you. I guess you you talked a little bit about Morocco and what it was like there and what it was like going back and experiencing it with a Black man. And you even talked about where you would live. But I guess outside of Africa, what was it like being a person of color, like in a South Korea? Did you feel free? Is that why you would live there? Like, what was your day-to-day life like in a place like that? So South Korea is interesting because there is this sort of idolization around Black culture. I mean, I guess that's everywhere, right? Like, Black culture has been exported across the world. And so in South Korea... Maybe, okay, so for just to get a little more contextualization, I went there to visit my sister who's in the military. And so I was staying with her for most of the time. And so I guess I didn't experience a lot of discrimination, at least in the community that I was in, even when I traveled outside because they're used to seeing military people. But um, I didn't have that deeply negative experience. So I did have the typical experience everywhere I go, in airports, in South Korea, on the train, in Argentina, I had this on the train, everyone train, where people will reach for my hair. Because I typically wear a nice, a big fro. So people will literally grab my hair. And so I did have that experience in all of these places. It's, you, you know, and but you know, the hair part is something that I think I had to learn and get used to and like kind of think about like ways that I'm gonna, I guess, uh, react to it right because so for instance in uh, argentina i was on the train someone just grab, just went straight for my hair and i'm like what are you i said excuse me i got a little ratchet but as i got older mm-hmm. um i also applied like putting my hair hand back into other people's heads which is also not really recommended no, you, it, wait, oh, wait 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 uh, I have. wait wait you did not yes i did back and grabs because and then people get freaked out they're like oh and you're like, why are you, what? Like, you just do that to me. Like, stop. Um, in other situations, like at work. Wait, wait, no, 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 no. I'm not letting you get away from this. <laughs> Where were you? Like, on a city bus, sidewalk, grocery store? Where? Okay, in an airport. I did this in an airport and in... Wait, 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 wait. It was more than once. <laughs> this has happened to me so many 
so many places, like in Argentina, South Korea, Thailand. Has that, I mean, not in Sudan, but I have had the question like, does your hair grow out your head that way? In Argentina, I got the, can you snap your fingers and shake your head and say, oh no, you didn't. Like, that's what you guys do in movies, right? That's what you guys do. And so you really, I mean, and that, that, that example specifically comes from a work situation where I was at where I was, I interned uh, at the USMC in Argentina and I was hosting a pre-departure orientation for some students going on exchange program to the US. And when all the other officers left, um, I was like, oh, well, open up for questions. We have more students. I was the youngest person there you know and most recently out of college so ask me a question ask me a question about going to college and, blah, and these are the questions that they gave me and so because I was representing U.S. Embassy I couldn't say something crazy you know I was like I said well you know that's that's racist when they said snap I said I'm sure I said you, you saw that in movies right they're like yes that's what you guys do in movies I said well you know Catherine who was an officer she's like she just spoke about media misrepresentations of different subgroups in America and I think that's what you're you're talking about I said you know yes it is true that black people have a different um cultural language or dialogue when they're speaking to their friends or families in the same way that you would speak to your grandparents differently than you speak to your friends on the street. But saying that we all do that in that sort of um, exaggerated way is very, is culturally insensitive. And so having a conversation or about hair and like, the and they're like, well, I'm sorry, they apologize. But their apology was also strange. Their apology was like, well, I'm so sorry. Like, I've only seen the Africans that sell watches on the street. I never really met Black people. And so it it was str- so I think it was strange to me that you know at and these people weren't young they're like twenty five that they haven't come in contact with people who are black are of black you know black heritage whether that's from the continent or from the Americas so that was a strange experience but I I'm like wow people really do live closed off lives and I'm again thankful for the tool of cultural exchange to broaden people's perspectives both for um, people uh, abroad and then for people in the United States. That's why I'm a huge proponent of going abroad, traveling abroad, staying abroad. And that, you know, even the experience in Morocco really opened up my eyes to living with the Islam, with the Muslim family. You know, understand like in the home, the mom, you know, she takes off her hijab, but on the street, you know, she, she wears her hijab. And like, what does that mean to have different identities and um, different identities for in home and then outside the house? I have a question mm-hmm. specifically about other people of color that you've seen in your travels. Obviously, mm-hmm. we work in very official spaces. And mm-hmm. usually when we travel to different countries, mm-hmm. if there's people of color, sometimes they work for the, the embassy. But in mm-hmm. any of your travels, have you have you seen people of color that are there either on business, that are there mm-hmm. as teachers, that mm-hmm. is there uh, as DJs? I've seen DJs. I'm like, mm-hmm. how in the world did you end up in Colombia mm-hmm. as a mm-hmm. DJ, African-American? Have you had that experience? Yeah. So in South Korea, again, one of my friends, well, I guess acquaintance from undergrad, he decided to teach in South Korea, which is actually one of the great ways to work and live abroad is teaching, especially in the uh, Asian countries pay a lot, like Asian and then also like South Korea, Thailand, and then also like Dubai and Saudi Arabia pays like one of the highest international teachers pay. Um, but there's also opportunities in South South America. So this guy, this friend, he taught in South Korea and I went to go visit him. He was living in Daeju, which is about two to three hours south by train from Seoul, from the capital. And he's a rapper. And so, you know, I always see him on Instagram, like, rap, like, I got a show tonight, come through, come through. And I'm like, all right, whatever, you know, like. And, but, you know, when we went out, like, we went to get, like, smoothies. And the guy, the cashier's like, 
I know you. He's like, you're a rapper, you're a rapper. I follow you on Facebook. And so he's actually popular. And we went to the club. The clubs in South Korea are popping. They really are. He, we went to the club and everyone knew him. He got dats in the club. We got VIP. I mean, like, you know, he was really doing his thing out there. And um, now he does rapping full time. And especially he's, all, he's also in the, uh, the Japanese market as well. And he raps in English and then does like features by, you know, other Asian artists on his song. So it's really interesting. I asked that because, you know, it leads to my next question about this, this idea that some of our closest friends and associates, we meet through our travel. So is there one to two people out there that you've met, whether, have, whether it's South Africa or Sudan, mm-hmm. that you've met that's like a part of your core, like your squad? Morocco, um, that program again was two months. And one of my best friends now I met on that program. And it's so crazy. Like we have now, her name is Burhan, shout out if you're listening. Um, we have now gone to 14 countries together, 14 in just, you know, six years. We celebrate Thanksgivings and New Year's and we've literally done, we've gone on a a three week road trip. So that South Africa trip I was talking about, we went to South Africa, Zimbabwe, Zambia, Namibia, Uh, in Botswana on that trip. That was three weeks on the road, which is the craziest, best trip of my life. We went to Thailand together, Philippines, Vietnam. I mean, we've gone really everywhere. And it's actually wonderful because, so this, so see, I went to Morocco in 2014. And in the the winter of 2015, so like February 2015, she writes, she's like, Mia, she's like, um, I'm coming to America because she was working in Botswana at that time. And I was like, oh my God, girl, great. And I was like, for what? She's like, she's like, the Wrangell interview. I was like, me too. And we actually had our Wrangell interview on the same exact date, which was, you know, um, like, the, these are the moments, you know, if you read the book, The Alchemist, where, you know, he's going along his journey and there's these different things that, you know, are like little pinpoints, little angels or pinpoints from God. It's like, you know, you are on your way. And that was definitely one of those moments. And she ended up going with the pain. So pain is another fellowship um, through USAID. So through development, for those that are listening, um, through the development tracks. And she ended up getting the pain fellowship. And the Wrangell and Pain Fellowship actually has their professional development sessions together during the summer. So we actually spent that so that summer of 2015 together um, at Howard University. And it, it's just... It's just amazing how God just brings different people into your life. Or like, you know, I then you know I visited her in Philippines, and then we visited our friend who was working in Vietnam on her first tour together. We actually just had plans a trip to go to because of coronavirus it got canceled. But our friend who's in my Wrangell cohort is getting married in India to some man she met. You know, like it is crazy this network and this community that you just build and meet along the way. And it's like, oh, boom, free places to stay. You know takes a part off of the expenses of travel. So I'm, I'm just very blessed. Um, I'm very, very blessed in that way. Nia, you have had an amazing life. All the places that you've touched, all the people around the world, it's, it's probably a life a lot of people can't imagine for themselves. So what is the first piece of advice you give to a mm-hmm. person who says, I want to study abroad or I want to be like you. I want to be a diplomat. So the first piece of advice for someone that wants to study abroad. So for... So I know right now with coronavirus, things may seem a little uneasy, but I think rest assured, maybe within the next year, I think things will start to open up. But now's the time to plan, right? So even when I went to Morocco, I had to honestly plan a year out to get the Arabic 
like level that I needed to even qualify for that program. So this is the time to be either either studying. Or, I mean, right now a lot of people are you know working for well schools out in a lot of places, but still you know this is time to really be planning your uh, your grades really matter. I think in these programs that that offer free scholarships to go abroad. So for high school students, I actually wrote down some resources for you. The Yes program. It's one. It's another State Department program for high school students, and they it's called if you go Yes programs, so yesprograms.org, um, there are opportunities for you to study abroad for either a few weeks to a whole school year in another country, and that's paid for by the U.S. government. Um, there's another program called Global Citizen. You do have to pay, um, but this is great if you're looking for a gap year program. Um, it's between $500 to $7,000, which is really steep, but there are scholarships. And then for a college, you know, college students, you guys are in the prime of your life right now. You know, you can go to your every most universities has an office of study abroad. That's probably your number one a starting point right there um, to see what programs are offered. But a few that come off the top of my head that are wonderful is one critical language scholarship, which is what I did. Critical language scholarship offers immer um, language immersion programs in 14 languages and then multiple countries. So you, you uh, apply for the language and they assign you the country. So I didn't really pick Morocco, they assigned me Morocco, but which is wonderful. So that's number one. And then critical language, although Morocco, Arabic did have a language level that you needed to qualify for to apply. There's other languages like Swahili, which is awesome. And I think like Japanese or Russian that you don't need any language level to even apply to. So that's that. Um, there's Fulbright, uh, where they have a teaching abroad, they have research abroad, but there's Boren. These are all um, State Department funded programs specifically for college students or recently graduated students. Um, and then another key resource, honestly, for me throughout my college experience, and many people don't know this, is the Office of National Scholarships. And that's actually how I found out about CLS to begin with. I um, wanted to be a Fulbright. You know, when I was a freshman, I was an eager, eager freshman. Never became one, but still, because I was on their, their email list, Office of National Scholarships, I found out about CLS through them. And I was like, oh, I could apply for this. I could do this. And when I went in for um, a consultation interview, a, a consultation meeting, they walked me through it. Like, they even gave resources to help me with my writing, to help me, you know, edit. Um, they were awesome. And even um, when I was applying for Wrangell, of course, I had the wonderful – shout out to Kendall and Calvin – um, for really helping me uh, with my Wrangell interview. But my the Office of National Scholarships, when they found out that I became a finalist, they they also set up um, an interview um, training session for me as well with professors and a writing and a writing lab with professors. So that's a key resource that I don't think a lot of people know about um, in their university. And then for people who have already graduated college or maybe didn't have the best grades, there are actually a lot of great pro other programs. So a lot of government agencies actually have field offices abroad, which a lot of people don't know. So like Commerce, um, USAID, uh, agriculture, and there's several patent office. Like there's several. If you go to usajobs.gov, you'll um, you could uh, play with the search tools and find jobs that are abroad. Um, Global enterprises have field offices abroad. Um, teach. I was. I said uh, before in the line. Teaching abroad is there's a huge industry of teaching abroad. When I um actually was supposed to start the State Department, I 
there was a hiring freeze, which caused some complications with my starting date. And I actually found a job just teaching. I told you, I actually were living in South Korea. I found a job to teach in South Korea quickly through that site. That would pay $2,000 a month. You don't have to pay rent and you get health insurance. So coming out of college, you know, with very little expenses, that was a wonderful program for me. But even teaching in Dubai would have been great. And then also, of course, the tech world, um, you can work from anywhere. But those require certain different skill sets. So yeah, so just to give a rundown summary, teaching abroad, uh, government agencies, global enterprise, and tech for those who've already graduated college or in their professional careers. Nia, wow. Thank you so much for that information. Wonderful resources that you put out there. As we bring the show mm-hmm. to a close, and mm-hmm. as we're talking about dropping bars, Nia, mm-hmm. yeah. what is your anthem? What is the song? <laughs> What's the song? Okay, well, I'm probably gonna think of a few, but the first thing that comes to mind is honestly Nice For What by Drake, Don't Judge Me. Hey. Like that video, when it came out, I, every morning, just with the, like how, you know, it was one of the first rap videos to me that like, that didn't show women in person, it just showed women being great and grand. And it was like, hey, I love Nice For What. Like being ni- nice for what, seriously, because these people will run you over, okay? Uh, <laughs> You know, you know, entering the professional space as a as a at the intersection of being a young woman of color in a job that particularly, you know, leans what they call pale male and Yale. It has been really crucial for me to maintain a level of like confidence and self-worth because it's really it's it is this is not to be discouraging. This is just to be clear that. There, for some reason, there are forces that are bringing you down, right? And it's just important to just stay uplifted and like understanding who you are and centering yourself. And like, so not um, what's it, what's the what's the um the old Christian phrase I really love? No, who's you are? Like, I know who, what's the, come on, Kendall, help me out because I know you know this. To know who you are, it's it's important to know who you are, but it's more important to know whose no, you are. Whose you are? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> So, yeah, so nice for what, honestly. <laughs> Nia, we are cheering you on. We're so proud of your success. You are doing a fantastic job at all levels. And thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. Gentlemen, nice for what? Nia Jackson. <laughs>